Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It is July 16, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Michael Warren and Andrew Egger of The Weekly Standard. Where do we begin? You know, I, I want to be there. There's so many things we could talk about. We could talk about uh, the big indictment that was uh, dropped, the president uh, blaming America for the bad uh, Russian relationship, what could possibly go wrong in Helsinki. But I want to start off with, you know, is there only one umbrella in Russia? I mean, did, did nobody think? I mean, that scene was really <laughs> remarkable. Not the most important thing that happened in the world, but you watch that after. After the World Cup and it's pouring rain and everybody is getting soaked. And Vladimir Putin is the one person in Russia who has somebody hold an umbrella over his head. Yeah, it must be nice to be a strong man. I, you know, I thought Macron was sort of fit, fit with the celebratory uh, tone. You know, he just, you know, doesn't care if he gets wet because he's so, you know, excited or whatever. So, I, th- you know, it, it was it was a weird image to see. Did you see the other image of um, of Macron like cheering? He was, I guess, in like the VIP section, and he's the only one standing up. You can see his wife uh, sitting sitting there. Everybody else is kind of sitting there, and you can see Vladimir Putin off the side. Um, I don't know. It was it was it was a little weird to see him kind a little, of a little bit awkward. Well, yeah, you know, my we were saying before this, my my daughter lives in France. My grandkids are French, so obviously we watch this with a certain amount of of interest. You know, all of their friends are back home. You know, losing their their minds over all of this but but the scene of watching everyone being soaked and i thought it was interesting that after about was about five minutes when macron and everybody else are absolutely soaking <laughs> they finally decide they're going to bring out an umbrella for him and he's sort of joking like what, what do i need it for now I, mean, <laughs> I could not possibly get any more wet than i am so let's let's start with this um let's let's work up to where we are today, because uh, the news cycle continues to uh, to uh, be on overdrive. On Friday, the indictment of the twelve Russians was was dropped, and, and and this was a just to say this was a big deal is putting it mildly because Rod Rosenstein details a a rather remarkable uh, indictment, specifically of GRU officers. These are. Uh, these are agents of the Russian government in great detail going through what they did to interfere in the election. So let me just talk about that. Who, who, who wants to take the ball on the significance both of that indictment and the timing of that indictment? Well, I think, Charlie, you got right to the, the kernel of it uh, right there when you say that the, it's significant that this time, it's, it's really the first time we've had uh, people directly connected to the Kremlin sort of named uh, and, and the, the specific crimes that they that the, the government thinks that they did uh, laid out in, in, in some detail, you know, with, with uh, you know, times and stamps and uh, date stamps and things like that, where it's a full picture painted of the fact that actual Russian uh, officers of inte- intelligence officers were directly involved with these sort of hacking operations, which we've always we've always known for some time that that this has been you know connected to Russia that that something like that was going on. Um, but but this is the the strongest evidence that we have so far that the government really has sort of gotten to the bottom. Our government has sort of gotten to the bottom of how all that went down. Um, and, and this, you know, this, this indictment, the fact that they're willing to actually put this in the court system, really, I mean, we're not likely to see these people ever tried. They're not going to be extradited out of Russia. Uh, you know, the, the White House uh, is signaling that they aren't even going to ask for these people to be extradited out of Russia. Uh, but, but it really goes, 
it's a way for of us to signal of our of our uh, agencies to signal that we know exactly what Russia did and when they did it and how they did it and uh, and that we're going to be presumably more on guard for that kind of thing in the future. And Michael Warren, the decision to drop this as the president goes off to meet with Vladimir Putin in in Helsinki, because of course, uh, Trump has certainly been inclined to believe uh, Putin's denials in the in the past, or to, or to cast doubt on whether or not there is, you know, was it was Russian meddling. Uh, um, and, you know, of course, he, you know, constantly, including this morning, refers to this as a witch hunt to drop this as the president of the United States goes abroad to meet with a guy who clearly ordered this attack. This this was an aggressive move oh, by, by the Department of Justice. Totally. I saw somebody refer to it um, as a witch hunt because of all the <laughs> <laughs> of all the last names of these 12 guys that ended in something witch. Um, but I, I think Rosenstein. Uh, who said he briefed the president uh, earlier in the week on this. So this is not sort of a surprise to uh, Trump as he goes. I mean, this, he at least knew about this a couple of days beforehand. Um, but he is – Rosenstein is an actor here, a political actor. And I think he's trying to make um, a statement with this or at least to um, – give the president something here, whether the president will pick it up. We don't know exactly what's going on. Um, I believe as we're recording the um, 90 minute uh, scheduled meeting with Putin uh, has just, has just ended or is just about to end. And it's been going on for like over two hours. Um, we don't know. We assume that possibly that he brought uh, this up, uh, but I think it was uh, an effort to sort of at least put the pressure on the president to uh, really insist that um, that that he do something about this, or he at least raise this with Vladimir Putin. It's this weird. The the president has this weird inability to separate himself and his own uh, insecurities. I think about his victory in 2016 uh, with this very real, very obvious something we've known actually for over a, over near like almost two years, a year and a half. Because our intelligence uh, uh, officials discovered it. Uh, this is, of course, the first public uh, sort of hashing out, as Andrew pointed out, of what exactly happened. But we've known about it for a long time. The president seems sort of unwilling to just admit that and try to move forward because I think he he feels that it is somehow an attack on his own um, electoral prowess, if you will. Yeah, I mean, I think you can hold those thoughts in your head that the, the president won. You know, he's a legitimate president. He won the election, but that this is a serious attack and it's an ongoing attack. The The indictment did very clearly state that there's you know no evidence of, quote unquote, unquote collusion. Well, I'm, I'm exaggerating that somewhat, but I mean, said there was they they downplayed that. On the other hand, I mean, as you go through all of this, the role that WikiLeaks played is, you know, it's now, you know, in black and white laid out the way that, uh, the, that the Russians you know, used WikiLeaks, the way that WikiLeaks, you know, conspired to have maximum impact. Um, we kind of knew about uh, Roger Stone's involvement, that he actually communicated with, with Russian in intelligence. Um, and, you know, the I, I, again, I don't know where this is going to go, but the the coincidences of the date where Trump himself asked Russia for assistance in the election. You know, if you're listening, Russia, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails. And and apparently the Russians, at least looking at the timeline, seem to see that as kind of a green light. So I, I again, this, we, we, is, a, yeah, this we, is a significant development in the case. Absolutely. We don't know the causality of that uh, particular right. incident. But as you say, the the um, the coincidences are there. And I think it's important to remember 
when you hear people say uh, Mueller needs to wrap this up or we need to, uh, you know, there's been no um, demonstration of collusion. And so this whole thing, as the president likes to say, is a witch hunt. Um, well, first of all, if you if you look at the initial order, I've said this a million times probably on this podcast, you look at the initial order from Rosenstein's creating the special counsel. It's designed to continue the uh, investigation into exactly what this indictment sort of delivered, right, was was uh, into Russian interference in the election and any potential um, uh, collaborate. I'm not using the, the exact words of the of the of the order, but any collaboration or or uh, collusion, uh, cooperation with uh, with Americans, including people in the Trump campaign and and the Trump administration. Um, it, that doesn't mean necessarily that there are going to be indictments of people in the Trump campaign. In the conclusion. That's the point of the investigation is to explore those. And I do think, while you're right, Andrew, about getting to the bottom of what the Russians were doing, I I still think that even with the caveats from this particular indictment, there's, we're not necessarily at the bottom of where the uh, where people associated with Trump, and particularly Roger Stone, who's not named in the indictment, but um, let's use our context clues and figure out that's who we're talking about when um, when Roger Stone was tweeting about knowing ahead of time about some of these drops from the from the um, the DNC uh, email leaks from WikiLeaks. Um, that is. That is still ongoing, and and I'm willing to say that there will will end up with nothing uh, in terms of any kind of collusion between Trump and Russia that's any way provable um, or right. or even out there. But this is the whole point of the investigation, and uh, I think we're still learning more things, at least those of us in the public, that Mueller knows or is searching. I just thought it was interesting. There's the detail that we we learned about. Uh, you know, we we know. Who these guys were, you know, when they made the decisions, what what they did, what the address of their office was, you know, how they used, you know, the uh, keystroke capture to uh, to do all of this. This, I mean, the, the the level of detail and their willingness to to reveal it was was kind of interesting. It was it was Bob Mueller's way of saying, boy, you know, I know lots of stuff. I mean, I re- we really really do. Okay, let's let's move through the uh, the, the the weekend. Uh, the, the the president went to went to uh, Great Britain and. Uh, um, how did that go, Andrew? Well, <laughs> um, it was a little nuts. Uh, we got we got some fun interviews from the president where he uh, chatted up a bunch of different things. Got in a little uh, spat with Theresa May, the prime minister, over F- fake news. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Over um, you know whether or not she's doing a good job with Brexit. He basically just knifed her and said that it was it was going badly. Um, sort of walked it back later. Said it said the interview he had just done with this uh, with the son was fake news. Yeah, so that was that was sort of a fun thing. Um, we uh, he's he's in Helsinki now. He uh, some some more fun comment. He he's in triumphalist mode now about the about the uh, NATO summit. He's basically saying, uh, you know, we we mission accomplished. We did everything we wanted to do. People are going to be paying a lot more, which is interesting to see. Uh, and I may be going off on a little bit of a tangent here, but but it's interesting to see Trump. Uh, turn that corner on this issue like he does on, on on a number of issues where he sort of talks a big game for a long time and, and then at some point he just starts to say sort of like mission accomplished we've done this already we saw that for for the the border wall uh last year where he you know he t- talked for a long time we're going to build the wall we're going to build the wall we're going to build the wall and then all of a sudden he started saying the wall's being built guys we're we're building the wall you, you know, and by it's, 2020 he's going to be standing there saying we built the wall this is the wall right, right. behind it. and the reporters are going to say there's nothing there and he'll say no you know fake 
news, it's there. Right, and that's and that's what we saw with with NATO too. Is that you know he he said that he's going to uh, he's he's been talking all, all along, all along, all along about making uh, our allies in NATO pay more for NATO. Uh, he goes into talks and, and browbeats a lot of NATO leaders about them needing to pay more, and then he comes out and says they all agreed to pay more, and that's his line now. He's repeated it over and over and over again, even though a certain number of NATO leaders have come out and said we're just we just agreed to abide by the previous um, sort of standards, and may, maybe maybe they're going to be more you know honest about actually getting up to two percent of their but their budgets. There's probably something there, but but I I think we're since Trump has now turned this corner, maybe that means we're going to see less aggressive rhetoric out of him and and more just sort of saying I won on NATO. NATO's doing what I need now because he's he's I think he tweeted this morning NATO's now strong and rich just because well, and of this. this. Is good that at least at least you know leaving aside the rhetoric, at least he's not pulled anything out. He has not taken any action that overtly weakens NATO. Well. Uh, yesterday we had the interview though where he's referring to the European Union as our foe. He was asked about this by well, it was was Piers Morgan, right, who gave the the, uh, the 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 interview. You know, you're you're you know how odd that that he basically draws this moral equivalency between the European Union, China, and Russia using the word foe to describe the Europeans, and of course that uh, once again raises eyebrows, which I think are permanently raised all all throughout the continent. Right, and you and you don't want to do too much, uh, you know. You don't want to read in too much to Trump's sort of like stream of consciousness rhetoric on any of these things. But actually, it wasn't just an equivalency between the EU and and Russia and China. He, what he really said was, you know, the the EU is is definitely a foe, and then Russia's a foe in these ways, and China's a foe in this sense. But like he, he the most unequivocal thing that he stated was that the EU is a foe, which was just sort of well, sort of remarkable. Well, he did add, uh, I think, later on that particularly on trade, this is what his his point was of identifying the EU as a foe. But the question that he was asked was, who is your or America's biggest foe? And, <laughs> and his initial instinct is to go to the EU, which is, I, I agree with you about reading too much into the stream of consciousness, because if you if you read or you listen to what he said, I mean, it really, it, it was a classic example of the way Trump sort of um, uh, comes up with an idea as he's sort of talking about it, and the words just kind of keep Pouring out and rolling out as he's thinking. Of yes, I mean it, it, it is. Yeah. But but it's I, impressive in a way. I wish I could do that. <laughs> well, um, uh, hopefully, I, I I would like to speak in in complete sentences um, <laughs> if I were doing that. But I, I do think it, it highlights a problem that the president doesn't seem to really care that much about. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't. But I think other people listen to what the president says. Go by what what words he says, and if they're if they are foes of the United States, can parse. Um, those words uh, to to benefit themselves uh, and and to try to you know get sort of uh, moral victories and propaganda victories and I think that the the fact that he uh, sort of went there and said and and wanted to emphasize that the, he viewed the EU as a foe um, but then also that these things can all be worked out was very revealing about the way I think he views geopolitics that there's no real sort of moral um, element to this all that it's all about negotiations and individual leaders. I mean, I think this is why he likes strong leaders like Vladimir Putin. It's it's because it's 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 individual guys, um, mostly men, mostly guys, um, negotiating this stuff out um, and instead of uh, sort of the the big democratic norms or the you know the the, the questions about um, whether a country is acting appropriately uh, in, in in the sort of free world uh, order that uh, we we like to think we still um, are are sort of the hegemon for so I think this is just a, an example of the way that the president kind of just 
says what's on top of his mind without thinking of the import of those well, words. He did, he did tweet about this, which was apparently not a stream of consciousness or something. Uh, he tweeted, uh, our relationship with Russia has never, all in caps, been worse thanks to many years of U.S. foolishness and stupidity and now the rigged witch hunt. And quite remarkably, the Russian foreign ministry uh, tweeted, you know, sort of subtweeted that and said, we absolutely agree with this. Um, uh, Michael, when you have a piece up at the Weekly Standard saying this, we we kind of recognize this. This is the this is the old you know blaming America first, isn't it? Yes, and it's it's very. You dep- also, go go ahead. Already won. What do you mean? Well, I just think you know whatever happens out of this, and the editors have a very good editorial on on the website, sort of uh, explaining um, how the president's. I should say how the administration's own policy, which is actually very tough on Russia, uh, more sanctions, um, uh, funding for uh, Ukrainian freedom fighters and those sorts of things, how they could be undermined um, if Putin is able to sort of drive a wedge between those policies and the president himself, who's very easy to flatter. And um, and again, as I just said, you know, sort of likes uh, strong men like Putin. Um but uh, there's a propaganda victory in here. And, and so that tweet was retweeted by the Russian foreign uh, ministry, uh, which they basically said, yes, we agree with this, um, which You're I think foolish is foolish and stupid. You Americans. Yes. It's, th- it's all it's all your fault. Nothing we did. You guys. That's right. Now, perhaps Trump thinks that this is sort of smart negotiating, you know, that you um, sort of come into a meeting and say, hey, listen, those other guys are really dumb. We really made some big uh, mistakes, but we want to work with you now. Um, but I, 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 I and by keep... the way, they did. I mean, George Bush and, and Barack Obama, you know, have, have a lot to answer for. Their foreign policy vis-a-vis Russia was was clearly not a success, not strong and actually led to a lot of the problems that we have around the globe today, I as, to- you, as, as you lay out in great detail. Uh, no, I totally agree. And I think that the president is right about this. Um, I just don't know if it's the right uh, place uh, and, and way to say it. Um, he criticizes, and I think he sort of gets agency wrong here. He He's right to criticize Barack Obama for the lack of action in 2014 when Russia annexed Crimea illegally. Um, because again, we have a we have a, an agreement. The uh, Ukrainians gave up their nuclear weapons uh, in exchange for um, uh, an agreement with uh, the United States and NATO to protect them if they were ever invaded, like they were in 2014 by the Russians in Crimea. Um, and so the president, sort of uh, President Obama's inability to act, I, I think I think was deplorable. We said it at the time at the Weekly Standard. It was um, it was bad, um, but. It's mixing up and it's sort of this relativism where it's sort of mixing up who's really the agent here. And it was Vladimir Putin and Russia who who actually did the action of annexing Crimea. And he seems to at least publicly be unable and unwilling um, to call that out and, 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 and that everything seems to be sort of couched in domestic politics and sort of saying and, and backward looking, right? Like sort of saying, um, well, these other guys, they got it wrong. But with me, um, I'll be tough. I'll be strong. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's going to bring all of this up in the meeting or he did bring it all up in the meeting with Putin uh, this morning in Helsinki. And uh, perhaps we're really going to see some more tough action from the administration. But as a propaganda uh, uh, matter, as, as a matter of sort of public diplomacy, um, I think it's just it's just bad for the president of the United States uh, hours away from this meeting 
to blame his own country and his own leaders who, um, yes, he's got these disagreements with them domestically, and he's right in some of his criticism of them, um, but it, it, but, it yeah. screws up the order here in a way that is really damaging to the United States' moral well, authority. And at the same time, it really shouldn't come as, as like a surprise, right? Because we've, we've, we've seen that this is a, you know, the, the way he sort of, Trump views these sort of negotiations for a long time, that, that since Obama was weak, you can hardly blame Putin for taking advantage of him. You know, like remember Trump used to say those sorts of things like this is exactly what I would have done in, in that situation, you know, yeah. whatever you can get away with in terms of these geopolitical things. I, I want to read one other tweet from from Trump uh, that I think gets at a lot of this. Uh, it's actually three tweets, but I'll, I'll summarize. Heading, heading to Helsinki, Finland, looking forward to meeting with President Putin tomorrow. Unfortunately, no matter how well I do at the summit, if I was given the great city of Moscow as retribution for all the sins and evils committed by Russia over the years, I would return to criticism that it wasn't good enough, that I should have gotten St. Petersburg in addition. Uh, and then he goes on to blame uh, the news media and the Democrats who resist and obstruct, and that's why there's hatred. But I think that that really gets at what, what Mike was just talking about, which is this sort of solipsistic view of diplomacy where where what what matters is not sort of the, 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 the prevailing structure that we've already sort of set up in order to discourage uh, bad behavior and rogue behavior on, on like the international scale. What matters is not uh, these controls that are already in place so that people like Putin are constrained from doing actions like taking Crimea. Uh, what what matters is uh, only like once they get into that room with Trump and Putin is yep. quote unquote how well Trump does whether he can like push the right negotiating buttons uh, and and get in get in Putin's head in the right way. I mean and it, and it, it it makes a certain amount of sense and that's the kind of negotiation that Trump has done all his life is these sort of like mano a mano. Uh, you know, connections to, to, to negotiate these these larger things. It's just not the way that most of the world has done diplomacy for a while now. And, and, and that, that's why you, you see him, Trump, not really have uh, any concern for the kind of norms that and, and, and structures that get shattered as he goes along the way. It's interesting, you know, Ben Sass uh, was very, very outspoken over the week, at least on, on, on Twitter, pushing back uh, a few hours ago. You know, we, we talked about the tweet where he said that, uh, you know, relationships have never relations have never been worse. And uh, uh, Senator Sass uh, tweeted out a better thing, Mr. President, would be to declare Russia is the enemy of America and our allies. And we will expose and respond to their continued cyber attacks against our nation. And he also had a, a Twitter thread where he basically reminded uh, Americans uh, who and what Vladimir Putin is. Um, any sense why SAS has chosen this moment to be this aggressive in speaking out? I, I raise this because we also have this scene of of other Republican senators who, including, you know, my home state Senator Ron Johnson, who I think ought to know better, uh, coming back from their July 4th visit to Russia, downplaying the significance of the meddling. So it was this moment that, that SAS basically chose to stand up and say, uh, Mr. President, this is a terrible, dangerous moment. Well, I don't think Sass has ever sort of backed away from an opportunity to um, make. He picks his shots. Yeah, he does, but I but I think he 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 picks the, he picks good ones. He picks the right ones, um, whether it's trade or whether it's Russia. Um, but this is something that I would say has actually been relatively consistent from the House or excuse me, the Senate Republican uh, conference, where the the Senate Republicans have been. Um, Either in their words or more importantly in their actions and in, in, in sort of pushing for um, a new sanctions law last year. Remember that the, the White House really pushed against um, and, and the Senate Republicans held firm on this. Um, 
I think rhetorically, um, they, look, they could always be doing a little more. Um, and, and, and that meeting in uh, the, those senators, that, that sort of codial uh, to, to Moscow, that, that Ron Johnson and um, I believe Richard Shelby of Alabama was yeah, sort of leading right. that. Um, the, the, the reports out of that were a little mixed. The, 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 the Russians initially said uh, the, the, the Americans really um, didn't say didn't uh, uh, hold our feet to the fire. They were, they were very conciliatory. Um, there was sort of some late uh, in the day kind of pushback from the Americans on that. But I know I agree. I think there's a, there's a kind of, um, look, you're, if you're expecting, um, United States senators as a whole to sort of really stand up, um, and, 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 uh, and, and actually do something, I mean, that's sort of the role of executives. And so, um, we shouldn't put all of our hopes in the United States Senate. But I think what Ben Sass is doing is on the one hand, very admirable and, um, and, and encouraging, uh, but on the other hand, sort of underscores the difficulty, um, that even Republicans who really do feel strongly about this issue have in influencing, uh, the president of their own party. Now, now we're talking, uh, before we've gotten the full flavor of the, uh, of the live press conference, as you pointed out, the meeting was wrapping up, uh, Putin and, and Trump are going to be holding a, a, a live press conference. Uh, my sense, though, is that we may not know for a very, very long time what the actual consequences of this summit are. Whatever they say, whatever they claim, you know, I mean, obviously, is going to make news and will make make headlines. But uh, I don't think that we will know what the full fallout of this is uh, for a very long time and, and maybe never because of this oddness of having them meet privately. Uh, that Donald Trump did not want any anyone else in the room except for the translators with Vladimir Putin. Now, I mean, obviously, everyone in the world has commented on how odd that choice was. How odd was that choice, Andrew Edgar? Well, I, I mean, I think it. No one. He, I mean, no one even to like have his back or, or or to slip him notes or to protect him from falling into traps. I mean, this is. On the one level, it's incredibly arrogant, but it also just seems kind of reckless. Yeah, I think it, I think it underscores exactly what we were just talking about, which is that Trump feels like he can do the uh, you know the, the the best work when he is not constrained, uh, you know, by by handlers or people trying to spin things. When he can just like sit down and talk to Putin and be like, you know, you and I know what's going on here, and all these other people are you know kind of patsies or morons or whatever. But but we can come to some kind of accord. Is the sort of the way he sees these these relationships with these. Strong Strongman exactly. leaders, exactly right. but but I think I think that it, it it underscores also what we were what we were just talking about is is how sort of ill suited uh, this style of diplomacy is to these actual like meetings between superpowers. We, we saw it with the Kim summit. We saw it. We, we'll, we'll probably see it with this. Where where you're absolutely right. There aren't a whole lot of. Uh, concrete changes that come out of these one-on-one meetings uh, because these one-on-one meetings are hyped up you know narratively they're really interesting but at the same time they're they are not in a position where these things can change a lot you know like that's most of the diplomacy between us and Russia happens you know at the level of like two big state di- diplomatic apparatuses interacting with one another you saw the same thing with with North Korea where it's like yes you get the photo op uh, you 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 either probably right. uh, make make the leaders like each other more or dislike each other more. Um, but beyond that, you know, you both go home and all of the geopolitical realities are the same. You know, it's still, exactly. uh, you know, they, they still meddle in our elections. They still, you know, uh, 
oppose us, you know, being successful in a lot of different ways. Same thing with North Korea. They still have their nuclear weapons. They're still not planning on giving those up. And so you, you come back from this sort of thing and you, and you look around and you're like, well, actually, most of the realities on the ground are the same. Does that mean that the, the meeting was a failure? No, not necessarily. It just means that this is not the kind of venue through which you often see gigantic sweeping changes to the way two big nations approach but I, one another. I would, I would, I would I, I, I am concerned about the concessions that he might make. I, I, I would, yeah. And I would push back against that idea. Uh, maybe that is true when it comes to Donald Trump uh, as president. But we know, for instance, let's go to a, a meeting in uh, in another Nordic country between a Russian and American leader, uh, Reykjavik, uh, between Reagan and Gorbachev. I mean, that was a big deal in part because Reagan left, right? Because Reagan um, uh, uh, pushed away from the table. Um, that, But that actually did – Send a message to Gorbachev, and you should read yep. read anything about that meeting. It's it's really fascinating, um, and it, it really sent a message to Gorbachev that this Reagan guy um, was not kidding around. He was not kidding around about um, about uh, uh, anti missile technology, and and uh, not kidding around about really the defeat of the Soviet Union um, if they didn't change. And um, and and I would argue that was a turning point for the Soviet Union. Um, that's the fear that I think I and the editors here have is that um, Putin will use this opportunity um, to really gauge Trump and get a sense of really what he can use to take advantage. Putin has been well, doing this for 18 years. Well, and he's, he's excellent at it. I mean, yes. this, is, this is something that, you know, he, he, he is gifted at this. This is what he does. No, totally. And I, and I think that I think that's the fear. That's that that, that actually you're right about um, sort of the mechanics of the way these things, these sort of diplomatic. But uh, the, this is not, an, a, you know, the United States meeting with the uh, the president of, um, you know, I don't know, the Central African Republic or something like that. This is, again, a, a major power and a power that's hostile to the United States and uh, and, a, and a power that the United States really ought, ought to be and hostile has, to. And has, and, has, and has a hostile agenda, which they have been pursuing aggressively. That's right. That's right. So that's that's the fear. And, and, and if, if nothing happens out of this, that would honestly be a victory in my book. Um, um, All right. Well, to, yeah. to throw another historical analogy, you, you mentioned Gorbachev and, and Reagan. Uh, the one that, that that I often think about is when Khrushchev sat down with uh, John F. Kennedy yes. in in Vienna and basically uh, came to the conclusion, I think erroneously, that uh, the Kennedy was weak and that he was going to be easy to push around. And uh, there are a lot of historians who believe that as a result of that, you had the Cuban Missile Crisis, which uh, Khrushchev said, "You know, I'm going to test this young kid." And I think that I'm going to be able to steer him down. Now, it did not work out that way. On the other hand, um, you know, in the history of the Cold War, that may have been that miscalculation may have brought us closer to an actual nuclear confrontation than uh, than pretty much any other miscalculation. So these moments are actually fraught with a certain amount of peril if people do make those miscalculations or, or decide that, okay, you know, I, here's my read of the guy that I think he's easily rolled. All I need to do is, you know, kiss his ring, say nice things about him, um, and then pursue my agenda. I mean, you know, the backdrop of all of this is that if, if Vladimir Putin's, you know, long-term strategic goal was to sow division and chaos in American politics and to disrupt the European Union and drive a wedge between the United States of America and the NATO allies, 
His strategy right now looks like it is succeeding brilliantly beyond any expectation that he could have reasonably had. Yes. Can, can I just point something out that we don't even have to go that far back on historical analogies? Um, and I think to underscore and, and emphasize the point that this did not even this did not begin with President Trump and Putin um, is just go back one American administration with Vladimir Putin. Um, look at the way that um, decisions that President Obama made. Um, in Syria, uh, not enforcing the red line, not enforcing the line that he said he was going to enforce. If uh, Assad crossed it, if Assad used chemical weapons, um, the United States would take action. And when he didn't do that, what was the next sort of big geopolitical uh, uh, offense, a big affront to sovereignty? It was the invasion of Crimea um, by the Russians. I think Vladimir Putin, obviously uh, a player in Syria more now than ever, unfortunately, um, was watching very closely and saw um, that a, a, a that when President Obama did not take action after saying he would, um, that he was unlikely to take action if uh, if he invaded Crimea, which was a long term Russian and uh, Putin goal. And, and there we have it. So that's, I think, a m- very recent example of the way that Putin himself um, uh, uh, gauges people based on both their actions and sort of these big geopolitical moments, but also in uh, small moments as well. Um, uh, and, and I think that is uh, those are lessons that I wish and I hope that President Trump adheres to. But I'm, I'm not very optimistic. He hasn't been tipping his hand that he's gonna that he's gonna be real firm with Putin. He hasn't been. I mean, he all he has to do is he has to go in and and for once in his life uh, resist flattery and and see through an, a deliberate attempt to you know uh, bring him around. So if he can do that, well, we'll be fine. Is, you know, what I, I keep thinking about remember that photo op meeting he had with uh, with the senators on immigration where he was talking about uh, the five minutes when he was talking about the he wanted a bill of love and whatever you guys you know s- send to me. There is that that odd thing that you know when he's face to face, he he will often agree to things that that then have to be walked back. You know, people around him say, "Well, you know, no, that's not what Dianne Feinstein actually meant. You know, you're not don't really want to endorse that." But no one's going to be in the room with him with Vladimir Putin to be able to do this. But you know, one of the most remarkable things about today, it has been one week since he nominated Brett Kavanaugh to the U.S. Supreme <laughs> Court. I mean, think about all the things that have happened since then. And everybody thought, well, this changes everything, right? And a reminder about the 24-hour, 48-hour news cycle. I saw somebody on Twitter saying, you think maybe the White House is now wishing they would have held the Brett Kavanaugh uh, appointment for after this European trip? Uh, but uh, nothing seems to have any uh, shelf life. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Um, we'll find out uh, you know, maybe so- something that, uh, that comes out of this uh, summit, though, as I suggested, we may not find out for some time. And thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again.